Well, hello and welcome to Pastor and People. This is Isaac Adams. I'm sitting right here with my man, Thabiti. What's good, T? Hey, what's good, man? Long time. Long time, man. <laughs> you still look good, though, right? Oh, listen to you. Listen to you. <laughs> uh, and we're turning to a different topic right now. Um, all, of course, under this umbrella of this theme from 2 Corinthians one twenty four, working together with the people for their joy, pastors and people mm. working together so that they might stand firm in the faith, they mm. might stand firm in this hard war, this mm. battle we're waging mm. uh, here on earth to glorify God mm. uh, by His grace. And we're turning to this new topic of purity and holiness. Mm. Why, why are we talking, let's just, before we even dive into today's topic, why are we talking about purity? Well, I mean, in one sense, um, all of our salvation is about God wanting for himself a people who are purified. Um, Purity and holiness are sibling terms. Um, And if, if that's what God is after in our redemption, in giving his son to bear the wrath for our sins, and to provide the righteousness that we need so they might have a people for himself, zealous for good works, who are, who are washed by the Holy Spirit, who are, who are cleansed and set apart for him. If that's what God is after, then his people need to be after it. Mm. And you find this just throughout the scriptures in so many ways, so many places. But you think about our Lord's words in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, be holy, you as know, I as holy. I am holy, right. as your father is holy, right. uh, be holy. And so sort of written over our heads in the same way that it was written on the turban of the priest in the Old Testament is, is this slogan, holy unto the Lord. Mm. Um, and that's so easy to forget. Right. And so we need to talk about it because it is easy to forget. Mm. Um, and yet it is in one sense most foundational to who we are as a Christian people and most foundational to what we're called to do as Christian pastors. Mm-hmm. And right, I mean, from Genesis from Genesis 1, I mean, mm-hmm. really. And mm-hmm. when we see the transgressing of holiness in Genesis mm-hmm. 3, and I, as you said, it's all over the scriptures. One text that just immediately popped in my mind, Colossians 1, uh, I'll start in verse 21. And he said, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to present you holy mm-hmm. and blameless mm-hmm. and above reproach mm-hmm. before him if indeed you continue in the faith. So mm-hmm. there's even that connection to the second Corinthians, what we were just talking about, standing mm-hmm. firm. Amen. Uh, so T, you, you mentioned uh, as God's people, mm-hmm. this is one of, this is perhaps the greatest distinguishing mark of us, our holiness. Mm-hmm. And we think of God's people, we have the universal expression, right? The big C church. But then we have the local church, and that's where I want to kind of hone this discussion. We have the local church, why does holiness in the local church matter then, per se? Well, it matters, first of all, because um, that's where it's seen most clearly. And the reason it's seen most clearly there is that because that's where Christian lives get mingled and multiplied. Um, so if you imagine, you know, we sing this little song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine, you know. It, it, that's true in every individual Christian's life. There's this light that's shining, you know. Um, but if we are scattered, then we're like fireflies in the dark. You know, we, we're never going to light the night sky, right? But you can see these little glimpses of, of, of light flashing and fading. But when you assemble them, you know, when you gather them together, 
in one place. So we used to catch fireflies in a jar when right. we were kids. Right. Uh, if you gather together Christians in congregations who covenant together to live in a faithful way unto the Lord, well, then you begin to pierce the darkness. Then you begin to multiply the light. Then holiness begins to be refracted uh, throughout that local congregation and throughout the neighborhood that congregation inhabits, um, if, if it really is local in that sense, right? Um, and so we, we want to talk about this as it relates to local congregations, because that's where the rubber meets the road, right? right? And that's where we see most clearly um, the sort of state of holiness, if you will, among God's people. And that's where we get the most help. Uh, in in making progress in holiness, um, as as we all need help uh, from time to time. And T, when you laid out this discussion too, one thing you one way you phrased this, you were talking about the beauty of holiness in mm-hmm. the local church. That mm-hmm. this isn't just a sordid task that we're called to or a burden. Right, Christ has come so that our burdens might be light. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is actually holiness, obeying the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a joy. Right. Amen. Amen. And, and it's not merely obedience, right? Um, so it is that. But what, what's fundamentally happening, well, do it this way. Holy and holiness are Bible synonyms for beauty. Mm. It, when God wants to talk about his beauty, he most often does it in terms of his holiness. Mm. You know, and so the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, and, and his holiness fills the temple. Mm. You know, his holiness uh, is what causes sinners in their corruption to quake, mm. right? So, so holiness is the antithesis to everything that's fallen, which is to say it's the opposite of everything that is sinful, that is wretched, that is dark, that is evil, uh, that is corrupt, um, that is polluted, that's dirty. Holiness is its opposite in that sense. It's the absence of those things and the and the, and the pure presence of of goodness and splendor and radiance, and beauty, right? And so our obedience is conforming us to that beauty, mm. right? We're growing up into the very beauty of God Himself. We're being conformed to His image and likeness, Ephesians four twenty four. You know, through Christ, as we take off the old man, put on the new man. We're being conformed to the beauty of God. So when we talk about the holiness of the local church, we're talking about the beauty of the local church. And and that's important to get that beauty aspect on the table precisely because of the other words you use, which is delight. Mm -hmm. We find it hard to delight in duty. Mm -hmm. And we struggle to merely be obedient, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. And, and that's 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 evidence of our fallenness right. that we struggle to be right. satisfied with being obedient, right? <laughs> yeah. But but beauty calls us up to something higher, mm. right? And and that aspect of holiness, which reminds us of the splendor of God, that's calling us up into something higher. It's calling us up into our delight. Mm. And congregations, local churches, ought to be places that are cooperating together for our joy as we take on the beauty and the likeness of God himself Mm. through faith in Christ. Mm. So T, given the stakes are so high, as as you've described the Lord's holiness, his Mm. splendor, how it abounds, Mm. and then given that what is at stake, our joy in the Lord, does it seem to you like this is an important issue for most congregations, for most pastors and their people? Is this 
is this somewhere on the spectrum of good to important, necessary as air? I mean, I think I, so I'll come out and say, I've heard you talk about this is the number one discipleship issue, mm. right? Mm. Mm-hmm. I know you're slow to throw the hyperbole, so <laughs> not as slow as I was. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think this is critical. And I don't want to say that most congregations, this is not on the radar, this is unimportant. I, I don't think that's true. Um, and we know that's not true because most congregations, if they're Christian congregations, they experience this consternation, this this vexation of spirit when they see a brother or sister fall in sin, for example. Well, what is that? Well, that, that's the that's the echo of a desire for holiness, right? Um, so we tend to back into our concern for holiness by uh, those times and places when we discover somebody's fallenness mm-hmm. and it breaks us mm-hmm. or it breaks them mm-hmm. or it tarnishes the name of the church. You know, what I'm suggesting is actually we need to lean into this as a matter of fervent, faithful prayer, the Lord would make us holy as he is holy, as a matter of intentional discipleship. So part of how I think we need to explain to people what it is to be Christians is that you have now sort of entered into this life with Christ, whereby you are united with him by faith. And the life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God, and and he lives in you, and he is producing in you his character. And you have this promise from Philippians 1.6 that he who began his work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Won't be finished until that day. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, on that day we see him and we will be like him as a consequence of seeing him. But all the way along to that day, you're being conformed to Christ. And that's to be your desire. And there's something deeply defective in our understanding of the Christian life. And we'll be deeply defective in our understanding of Christian disciple-making if holiness isn't a prominent feature of our teaching, of our encouragement, of our hopes for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters, you know, for our churches. And so um, there's a lot of stuff that gets written about and talked about, which is important in its place about sort of practical Christian living and things, you know, practical things Christians should do. Um, But there isn't so much literature as perhaps there used to be in the history of the Christian church on on holiness itself. It it almost is seconded or or delegated to um, holiness denominations, Mm -hmm. right? Somebody's holiness Pentecostal, somebody's (laughs) holiness this. And, and, you know, you get this caricature that what that means is, is you always wear long woolen skirts. Women can't wear jewelry. They don't play you know, games. That's no exactly games. right. It's no fun. Yeah. You know, they're, mod- they're modern-day Puritans right. in terms of the stereotype, right? right? right. Um, and so that's problematic because right. what those denominations and groups at their best are rightly pointing to is the necessity of our being conformed to the image and likeness of God. They have something to encourage us in there. And if we spurn them, we may wind up spurning mm. something quite vital to the Christian life. And so, um, yeah, I just, I just feel like this needs to be um, sort of a more prominent part of our understanding of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a Christian church. And part of making it prominent is not beating people with it, mm-hmm. but showing them the beauty of it. Right. When Paul, I mean, when he talks about approaching that brother in error, so I've had my reflex, yeah. but I'm to do it in grace yeah. and love, right? Yeah. And restore them with patience yeah. 
and love and respect. Think about how he talks about, uh, I think, the Corinthian church. Mm-hmm. He says, I, I basically, I promised you or I pledged you mm-hmm. as a chaste bride mm-hmm. to Christ. And what's the metaphor there? Well, he, he is using what should be the case in marriages today, but was certainly true in the ancient world, where the father had responsibility for the virginity of his daughter, to protect it, to make sure she was pure uh, in Jewish culture, so that on her wedding night, there would be proof brought forward that, that in fact, she was, she was a virgin, right? right? And, and that was a father's responsibility. Now, Paul is speaking in those fatherly terms of the local church and saying, listen, I have pledged you to one groom, namely Christ. And my aim as a pastor is to present you on that day as a chaste bride, virginal, right? Well, that's just another metaphor for holiness. I mean, how do, in the, in the, in, in the wedding traditions of the West, how do brides come down the aisle? Well, dressed fathers. in white mm-hmm. and with their fathers, mm-hmm. right? White symbolizing the purity or holiness. Mm-hmm. And their father there is custodian, handing the bride off to mm-hmm. her soon-to-be husband. Mm-hmm. That's a really good picture of pastoral ministry mm-hmm. and, and the relationship between the pastor and the, and the church and the joy that ought to be right. evident and celebrated with regard to holiness uh, between them. Well, that's extremely helpful. And in the next time we're going to talk about, in this next episode, we're going to talk about then the need for a holy pastor because Mm -hmm. we've all seen the bride who doesn't have a father Mm -hmm. bringing her down the aisle or Mm -hmm. who has a father. And that relationship everyone sitting there knows is hard and Mm -hmm. has been hard, whether it be past abuse or whatever has gone on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So not to extend the metaphor too far, but all that to say, uh, the greatest need, it seems then, for the bride would Mm -hmm. be holy under shepherds Amen. who, who Amen. bring them down the aisle. Amen. So Amen. we will pause here and then we'll labor to that end next time. All right. Thanks, Bill. Thank you.